The scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 3. Let's share in God's good word together. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, happy new year. year. Right? A new year, a new you. A new year, a new you. Um, And maybe we'll find out a way... Uh, to be a better me in 23. Uh, but well, that's another sermon series for another time. Um, I want to let's let you know this service uh, and this day is unlike any other day. Uh, I want to thank everybody for being a part of it. And way to go. I don't know whether people get like extra bonus points in heaven for showing up on New Year's Day. Uh, but if you do, you got them. So we're glad you're here. And it's a great celebration day. We've got three young people being baptized that we know of. Now, but let me say this. I'm going to talk about what we believe about baptism. And so at the end of the sermon, if you are someone who wants to be baptized, please just let me know. Just come up and let me know. Um, and we will, we will work you in because there's, there's not more to know necessarily that you have to know to be baptized. And you'll figure that out in just a second because it's God's act through the church. Your requirement is to be open to what God will do with you. And so... Um, it's a very exciting day. And so if you've not yet been baptized and you would like to do that, um, just let me know. Um, and then uh, we'll, do, we'll do the baptism of the time of response. And everyone here who's already been baptized, you'll have the opportunity to recommit your life to Jesus today and to remember your baptism and to be thankful. In 1972, I was five years old and I was good looking. I mean, I had my 1970 shirt. I was groovy. I was going on. And the thing I love about five is that, you know, it's all about family. I was, uh, cousins are so great, right? They're better than siblings because you don't have to be with them all the time, but they're still family. It's so fun. Cousins are so fun. And so a lot of you all have been able to see cousins this week. And so for me, uh, once a year, we would go down to Dothan, Alabama, where my mom's mom lived and my aunt and her kids. And so I, we would get together with Cliff, my sister, my older sister Deborah, Cliff, uh, Keith, and Carolyn. Uh, we were the cousins. And the parents, as parents will do, maybe you've had some of this this week, the parents like to talk or play games or cards or whatever. And then the kids are supposed to go do something else. At least that's what it used to be uh, in the 70s and 80s. Like, come back later. Um, and so we would go and we would play. My grandmother had this huge yard uh, full of super tall pine trees and sort of some overgrown brush. It was a beautiful, awesome place in the daytime. Kind of scary at night. Uh, these huge trees would just go up and up and up forever. You could hardly see anything for all the trees, uh, even with the moonlight. And so it was a perfect place to play hide and seek. Any of y'all ever played hide and seek? Oh man, that's a fun game. Until it's not. <laughs> and so I can remember going out and hiding. You know, somebody gets picked, and you know. You know, count to 30, one, 1,000, two, 1,000. And then my cousin, uh, some of my cousins, they count by fives. Not fair. But anyway, they would, would, you know, you're trying to get hidden. And then I would find this one spot. It was awesome. You could not find me. It was so wonderful. And if you could find me, that meant you were really having to do some hard, hard work to get there because it took me some hard work to get all the way back hidden. But here's the thing. If you hide well enough, you don't know what's going on. 
right? You, just, you can't tell what's going on. And you wonder, like, is the game over? And I, they're just leaving me out here? Or, you know, am I about to win? Because I was not one to, you know, risk going to the home base. Because you know how it goes. If you get to the home base, then you win, right? And everybody else gets to, to get out. Um, but if you get tagged, you have two ways to play. You either get in the jail or you are become another one of the, the taggers, right? You can play either way. We would do both. But there was one thing that always stayed the same, and that is if you got to the base without being touched, everybody got to come in free. So I would hide. And I would hide. I would listen. You know how you listen like if somebody's breaking in your house, listening, that kind of listen. And I, I couldn't tell. It was so quiet for so long. And then I heard a rustle, and I heard a scream, and then I heard a slap, and then I heard, I made it. All the, all the income free. And I thought, aha, uh-huh. I get to come home. I get to get in free. I get to go in, and everything is right with the world. And, and what was really cool about this is that you didn't have to do anything. Because someone else had come and played the game perfectly, I could just come in free. And so could everybody else. And that's the way it is with Jesus, isn't it? There's nothing that I can do to earn my baptism. But Jesus has done it all. And so because of him, I get to come on home free. And so do you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. It's a wonderful game. I will let you know, though, that some people, I don't recommend it, some people just prefer to stay lost. It's cold out there. But it's it's your choice. But that's not really how the game's meant to be played. We're meant to come home. We're meant to be with family. We're meant to be a part of the love and joy that is being together as a community of faith. So we're going to talk a little bit about what is baptism. Uh, Around here, you might want to know, about a third of our people are United Methodists, largely from out of state. Uh, They moved to town, and we're like, hey, we're starting a new church. You want to be a part? And people move in, Kansas, other places, uh, Texas. And we've got a lot of United Methodists from around the region. There's about another third of folks that are from some other denomination. Baptist, Church of Christ, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Catholic, you name it. Just kind of grew up in another way. And then we've got a third of our folks that are just brand new to the faith. Uh, They've been baptized here. They're growing up here. And so just know that there's a wide, wide understanding of baptism. And so I just thought you might want to know what we believe. And if you believe that too and you want to be a part of it, I'd love to visit with you. So the first thing I want you to know is that baptism is a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. Right? You just can't earn it. It's a gift. Lest anyone should boast, Paul writes. So the baptizand, right, is the person being baptized. I love that word. Um, I bet you didn't. Anybody know that word before this? Not you two. So... And here's the thing. It's a beautiful thing. So the person being baptized is called a baptizan. It's good for them. It's good for the local community of faith, us. Right? We're better. It's a gift to us. And it's a gift to the body of Christ all around the world. Every time somebody's baptized, the kingdom of God gets better. It just gets better. So, again, you cannot earn your baptism. But it will take your best effort to follow Jesus the rest of your life. So, even people like Mother Teresa, she couldn't earn her baptism. It's beyond us. It's God's act. It's a gift. And baptism joins the new member with Christians everywhere. Everywhere, not just here. Yes, here in the local church, and yes, in our denomination, but also to Christians all around the world. And it's hard to express, um, even from my chair where I get to see a lot of things, it's hard to express the power and the beauty of baptism and what it does through the community. This connection means that the larger community faith is going to pray for you. 
They're going to care for you. They're going to show up in your time of need. They're going to celebrate with you when you celebrate. They're going to rejoice when you rejoice and weep when you weep. It's a beautiful thing. There'll be family when you have none. You know, it's always amazing to me uh, when I do funerals, uh, who shows up. You know, around here, it's, it's a lot of the church friends that show up. It's rarely their bankers. You might consider how you spend your time. Right? So, last year, during COVID, I got this little um, photo sent to me. And uh, it's one of our little ones of our church that I baptized in 2019. And she's been praying for me. This is Gentry. Now, I don't know what the Lord does with Gentry's prayers for me. All Gentry knew, as you know, is I needed them. And I still need them. And the Lord does beautiful things. Our little ones participate in the beauty of what it is to be church. And, of course, it's not just our church. It's beyond us. My son, John Mark, was in Project Transformation for a number of summers. And he shared his life with Juan. And he taught him how to read. And, and to stay up to reading level through the summer and to feed him. Our baptism means we belong to Juan. And to John Mark. It means that we belong to all the kids at church camp. Right? If you're baptized and these are kids that are, you know, have been baptized, many of them. Uh, I'm, I was the preacher for the week uh, down at Cross Point. And, and these kids weren't even necessarily from our church. They're from all over the state. Learning how to give their testimony. Uh, these girls here, uh, you may recognize some of them because they're a part of our church. But the whole rest of the tabernacle is filled with kids we don't really know. But their baptism connects us to our, us with our baptism. And of course that baptism goes beyond our denomination or even our borders uh, as we go to Guatemala. And then there's Sixta. And she serves us and blesses us and cares for us. We have, she's my sister because she's baptized and because she belongs to God. Because I belong to God, so we're sister and brother. It's also true that I am pastor, or in other traditions, father, padre, Mark. And so these are not just kids in Guatemala. They're my children, my sisters, your sisters, your brothers and sisters. And when we recognize that everybody who belongs to God belongs to everybody else who belongs to God, it ought to change the way we live, the way we serve, the way we care, the way we use our resources, if these truly are our children and our brothers and sisters. This was, became very powerful to me when I came upon an Anglican orphanage in Nigeria. And this little boy right here is named Miracle. He's my brother, my child, my sister, my child, my mother, my sister. And when we understand this, that we're all connected through our baptism. Because God claims us and God claims them. So we're family. So when you're baptized, friends, never forget this. You are connected to everyone else who has ever been baptized. And that'll blow your mind. You're, you're, you're connected to John the Baptist. St. Peter, St. John, Mary. I mean, anybody, your grandmas, grandpas, great uncles, all of it. We're connected to John Wesley and all the Methodists from him to us. We're connected because of our baptism. It's something eternal. Not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. And John 17, Jesus talks about the importance of our connectedness with one another in the body of Christ. He says, I ask not only on behalf of these, meaning the disciples gathered around him, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, which is us, you and me, and Christians everywhere, after the disciples, that they may all be what? One. As you, Father, are in, I, in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. And say this part with me, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world is watching, friends. The world, we are a witness to our world, how we treat one another, 
our brothers and sisters, wherever they may be. And so baptism means that we belong to God in Christ. I say God in Christ because uh, the Jewish people also had baptism, as John the Baptist was doing before Jesus. But we're talking about God in Christ, specifically in Christian baptism. So we belong to God, we belong to one another, and we belong to the church, all of it. So when we baptize here, you are being baptized into the local church, Acts 2 United Methodist Church. Also the denomination of the United Methodist Church and the worldwide church, which connects us with all the people we were just talking about. It's all of those things. And baptism is a mystery, friends. We don't know exactly how God works through that, but we know God does. One of my favorite experiences here was in the early days we had a a disciple Bible study. We've been doing that for 20 plus years now. And one of the people that wanted to take was an atheist, which I thought was so interesting. Uh, I think part of it was um, she was married to somebody else who was a Catholic that was coming to our church. And and they just, I think she just wanted to do that with her husband, but also kind of be like, yeah, let's see what they, what they really know or don't know. And the cool thing was by the end of the um, time, she kept trying to figure out what it was that kept drawing her to our church because she wasn't a believer in God. Why would she want to come to church? It was confusing to her. A little confusing to me sometimes. But she asked great questions with new eyes. And then before the, the class was over, we were like, uh, I don't know, week 30. It was, it's a survey course of the Bible. I recommend it. Um, but she said, you know what I found out, Pastor Mark? I'm like, no, what? She said, my mom told me that I was baptized as a United Methodist in the hospital when they thought I was going to die as a baby. I was about five days old. And here I am. I don't know the rest of her story, but I do know that somehow, some way, in ways that I don't understand at all, she was able to have a connection that there was a spiritual wooing in herself to come be a part of a United Methodist family because of something she never even knew about. But her mom did. Her mom did. So when we talk about baptism, we call it a sacrament because Christ is present there. We have two in the United Methodist Church. Baptism and Holy Communion. Baptism we do only once. Holy Communion we do each week unless we're uh, you know, sick or out of town. And so as we come forward, we do this because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of me every time you're gathered. So we do. Other traditions have more um, sacraments. The Catholic Church has seven, for example. But we have two. And the reason we have two is because Jesus did them. Jesus was baptized and Jesus did transform um, the meal into the great Thanksgiving Holy Communion for you and for me. So baptism and and Holy Communion are sacraments where God's action, not ours, God's action in Christ through the church transforms us to be what God wants us to be. It's a part of that redemption of all things. And this has been around a long time. It's not something that somebody just woke up and made up or thought about. Friends, as, as far back as the 300s and the 400s, St. Augustine of Hippo says, A sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. Uh, our founder, John Wesley, would uh, change the wording a little bit to say uh, an inward and spiritual grace, both of which are true. That's what a sacrament is. It, it's a way of making the invisible visible. So this baptism, this sacrament, is an initiation, right? The start into the body of Christ. It's the church. It's, it's the beginning. It's not the end. So when you see folks being baptized, it's the beginning of their journey. And it's not the end. There's, it's the marker that God says, yes, this is my child, and this child is now going to follow me all the days of their life. And so the sacraments, when we receive them, whether it's baptism, whether it's communion, it enables us to say yes Yes, it gives us power to do the things that God wants us to do and to say no to evil and sin, those things that would take away from our life 
or the life of others. And so we say this each time we come up to the Holy Communion rail. We're basically saying, Christ, come into my life. Live within me closer than my own breath. And empower me to go live for you. To do things that I could not do without you. So this word sacrament, it comes from the Greek word for mystery. And it's a sign of something hidden, right? That invisible part. And something sacred, set apart. And so set apart, sacred. Water is water. We don't say that the kids are taking a bath in here. We say that they're baptized because we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit is in this water specifically in ways that is not true every time you drink a glass of water at lunch. There's a difference. We're asking God to make it separate, to make it sacred. In the same way that the chalices and the grape juice are sacred here, and, and it wouldn't be the same as if you're just drinking it in a plastic cup on a Wednesday. That's different. The elements can be the, exactly the same, but it's a mystery how God changes them for you at the particular time and moment. So even our ability to say yes to these gifts is a gift from God. Now, think about that. Even our ability to say yes. Somehow God has brought you. We're going to baptize three people here, which you know. But we're not the beginning of the story. Somebody talked to these kids. The Holy Spirit was wooing these kids. Uh, I know at least in one case, um, one of the persons being baptized had a friend who brought them to their church. It wasn't this church. So God works through a friend who works through another church to bring them here to this church to find community here. God is at work. We call this work that goes before that we don't really understand fully. We call it provenient grace. The grace that goes before. I've heard it said that provenient grace is where God and Jesus is the hound of heaven. Always searching for you. Always looking for you. Always reaching out to you. Searching for you. And that's true. So how do we practice baptism here in the United Methodist Church? What, how, what is unique to us? How do we do it? Well, first of all, I want you to know that we baptize people of any age. Children, right? Teenagers, infants, adults. Doesn't make any difference to us. If God's ready to act, God's ready to act. Because it's God's act through the church. Um, you may want to know, I have baptized children as young as four days old. That, that's the youngest. I think that was Alex Prashetsny. Uh, over at the school, four days. Oh, Josh, sorry, thanks. Um, and then I also uh, baptized the Reddings when they were 85 on their 50th wedding anniversary. They were getting ready for that season of life. And everywhere in between, baptism is a gift, it's good. And baptism is received only once in our tradition, but its effects are lasting. And the reason we do it once is because we think it's so important that you understand that God gets it right the first time and every time. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from your baptism. You can walk away, but God's going to follow you. You can sin, and God will be there to redeem your sin and make you whole again. Paul's very clear about this in the early church. He writes to Rome, he says, For I am convinced, Paul says, That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, read it with me, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. You see, these sacraments, they're taking something beautiful and invisible in our relationship with God and the truth of it. And making it public. Making it visible. On Thursday and Friday, I had the, the great joy of participating uh, in the wedding 
of Simone Facina and his now wife, Grace Brennan. Uh, now Grace Facina. Uh, Grace grew up in our church. Her sister's over there. Hey, sister. And uh, you looked beautiful the other night as a bridesmaid, by the way. Uh, way to go. And so it, they're just great, great kids. I mean, I call them kids. They're in their 20s. Um, just wonderful people. Uh, Grace played soccer at K-State. Simone was a decathlete at K-State. And those are some fit people. I'm telling you, just, just gorgeous, wonderful, fun. But here's the thing. In the, in the Catholic Church, a wedding is a sacrament. Marriage is a sacrament. Because it's doing the same thing in terms of making something that's invisible for these two visible to the world. In ways that aren't true if they don't. I can't put my finger on it. I can't explain it exactly. But a wedding is an outward and visible sign of an inward reality of their love for one another and God's love for them to hold them together. That's why the Catholic Church believes it's a sacrament. We don't do uh, marriage as a sacrament because Jesus didn't do it. Jesus was never married. So our sacraments are things that Jesus did. He was baptized. He did participate in communion. But never forget, friends, that baptism is God's act through the church. To make this invisible reality of your relationship with him visible. Uh, one of the folks that we're going to baptize, um, I, I asked her, I was like, well, you know, how do you know you're ready to be baptized? Or, you know, what, why now? And how do you know that? She's I just know. And you could just see, you could just tell the Holy Spirit was just pouring out of her like, I just know. And, and, and that's right. It is a mystery. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so we don't withhold that. When the Holy Spirit nudges us, we move forward in that. And so then I'll ask the person being baptized, the, the baptizan, how would you like to be baptized? And I told you in the newsletter that I would let you know which is better, sprinkling or triple dunking. It's all the same. It's all the same. And because here's the thing. You can choose sprinkling. You can choose pouring. You can choose immersion. And the church of Jesus Christ has done all of it all the time. Partly because there are places are hardly any water. If you've ever been out in the Judean desert, it's pretty hard to come by. And the Jordan River, some places you can, some places you can't. And so people have done it all sorts of different ways. Now, a number of years ago, I had the really incredible opportunity to go to St. John's Basilica um, outside of Ephesus, uh, Turkey, in a place called Selchuk. Uh, We had workers there, and this is St. John's Basilica. It was built in 565 A.D. Now, this is my friend Michael, and you can see that the baptismal font um, or baptistry is basically... Uh, in the form of a cross. And so you would walk down one set of stairs and die to your old way of life and rise up and walk out the other set of stairs on the other side. And they would line them up. There was three years of catechesis where they would uh, train people and, and let them know that these were still people who sometimes would have to die for their faith. And they took it very seriously. And, and so you would, you would basically walk in, down. Uh, I think the priest would be in here. I wasn't around in the 500s. Um, but they, you know, you've got these little boxes for people. So you go down and you come up and so you might say, well, yeah, immersion's it. I mean, we know this, it's all the way back in the 500s. That's the way they did it. Well, except about, you know, three, four miles uh, across town, there's the church of Mary and at Mary's church built in 431 predates it by almost a hundred years. They have this ginormous font, baptismal font, um, here at this church. That's a big bowl friends. See that little person down there? It's a big bowl. And there's my friend Michael. He's everywhere. And, but you can see here, you could baptize 20 infants in that thing. It's huge. It's ginormous. And so in one place, they were doing full immersion. In another, they were practicing sprinkling or pouring. 
uh, or, you know, in, in this little font. And so the thing is, from the 400s and 500s, people have been baptized in different ways. And it's all God's act in the first place. It's not ours. So you don't need to worry about the form. It's all valid. And particularly for United Methodists, we're somewhat unique in this. Any Christian baptism is recognized by the United Methodist Church. And so sometimes people will join our church and like, well, do I need to get rebaptized? We're like, no, God got it right the first time. And they say, well, well, I'm Baptist. Great. Well, I'm Church of Christ. Great. And, and so the thing is, we have reciprocity with a number of churches uh, that are uh, mainline Protestant traditions. As long as it's three drops of water, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to get too caught up by the language. Uh, because in the early days when we were um, start, still in the school, the first couple of years, I got this phone call. And this guy who I had never met in my life, and he had never met me. He said, do you baptize in the name of Jesus? To which I said, yes. He said, no, you don't. I was like, okay. I was like, I said, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He goes, yeah, but you didn't say Jesus. I'm like, well, the Son is Jesus. He goes, nope. It says in the Bible, you've got to say Jesus. It, it doesn't. And not, not like that. And so there are some people that uh, even will want to weaponize baptism. It's not what it's about, friends. It's about God coming to you in love and grace and forgiveness. So we recognize any Christian baptism. I do need to let you know, though, it's not true in reverse necessarily. And let me tell you why. Because in some traditions, some Baptist traditions, some Church of Christ traditions, you are baptized into that local church. And that's how they understand it, period, dot. It's that local church. And so if you move, right, to another city, another state, the expectation is that you're baptized into their local church. And that's just how they understand it. And, but here, we don't expect that. You can be from a United Methodist church across town or around the world or, you know, Presbyterian. All of that is welcome because we understand God to be working in all of it. Does it make sense? And so you don't need to be rebaptized here over and over and over again. And you certainly don't need to be rebaptized because you sinned. Otherwise, you'd have to be baptized about every hour on the hour. Right? So we don't do that. We don't do that. So as baptized Christians, we want God's will for us. We want what God wants. And that's joy in his presence. To live in his presence and to do whatever God wants us to do. In the psalm book, it says this. God, you show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. To be part of God's family is a joyful thing. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You say, okay, well, if this is true, then how come people um, understand baptism differently? Well, uh, because it's been done differently. You have John the Baptist and the way baptism was done uh, within Judaism um, for thousands of years. And then you have Jesus. And we understand those things as different. So, uh, in Matthew, again, John will say, I baptize you with water for repentance. And repentance is turning around, turning your life towards God. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. He's speaking of Jesus. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will, Jesus will, baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So at our baptism, in Jesus' baptism, what we understand is that the Holy Spirit is there present to empower you, to grace you, to make your life different. It's no longer, I was this way, I sinned, and I got cleansed, and I went back to the way I was. No, with Jesus, that's the way it was with John the Baptist's baptism. In Jesus' baptism, my life is here, I get baptized, And I get catapulted into a whole new life that I did not know and could not know before because of the power of God residing in me. Those are different understandings of baptism. So John called people to be baptized for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, which was right and appropriate to do. 
But when Jesus was baptized, when John did this, it looked like this. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan River to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up out of the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descend upon him like a dove and alighted on him, landed on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Other translations uh, or other places in the gospel says people thought it was thunder. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You'll notice, friends, that there are no miracle stories. There are no big preaching stories. There's no feeding of the 5,000 stories before Jesus' baptism. All that happens after he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, then driven immediately into a very difficult time in the wilderness and then into his public ministry. It all starts at his baptism. So Jesus' baptism then transformed the meaning from only cleansing, only that public health part as well, where you have to understand there was no separation of church and state. So to be baptized was to make sure that you were safe to be with the community after you had been with a dead person or whether you'd been with meat or whether you'd been with blood. The priest would look at you and be like, are you safe to go back? Yes. So that was part of it, a physical, making sure you were safe, but also spiritual to make sure uh, you were safe to be in community. But Jesus' baptism transformed all that. So it went from merely clean, cleansing and repentance to now including this whole new way of life empowered by the Spirit. So as baptized Christians, friends, we strive to be the sign the very presence of Jesus in the world, empowered by a spirit. So when we baptize people, we ask them these questions. If you've been baptized here, you've been asked these questions. Now I want you to reflect on these and see if this is really true in your life. Because we ask, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Do you really? Or do you just kind of mm, try to stay away from them? Or do you actually say, no, we know that's not what's God's best for me or for others. So I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Do we actually reject the evil powers of this world and not participate in what they do? And do we repent of our sin? Do we really intend to stop sinning and to lead a new life? A life centered on God and not ourselves? That's the question. And do you accept the freedom, the real freedom and power that God gives you to resist evil? Injustice. To really fight injustice. To fight oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. That's what's at stake. And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, your personal one, the lifeguard, the one that you cannot live without, and put your whole trust in his grace, in his love, and promise to serve him, not just think about him, not just pray to him, not just read about him, but to serve him as your Lord, your boss, the one that calls the shots, in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, all nations, and all races, which means exactly all racism is off the table. Every sarcastic joke, everything that would drive any sort of wedge between any of God's children is not allowed in our lives. You've got to get serious about this stuff. It's life and death, world-changing stuff. And so to the family, as they stand up here with, the, with these young people, I will ask them, will you nurture these persons in Christ's holy church? Because the parents and the people that surround these folks, they're the primary witness in their life. I mean, if I'm lucky, I'm going to get to see them maybe, maybe two hours a week. At best, it takes a lot more than that to be formed in Christ, friends. 
It takes everybody around them. So will you nurture these persons in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace, love for themselves, to profess their faith openly everywhere, not just here, but wherever they go, and to lead a Christian life wherever they go. And then I'll ask you, the congregation, do you as Christ's body, the church, reaffirm both your rejection of sin, seriously, to not sin, and your commitment to Christ and whatever he says? And the correct answer is we do. We do. Every time we baptize somebody, we're re-asking the question. We're re-upping. And if you're Methodist, since 1755, our forebears and forerunners have, have said this prayer in some form. This is updated um, contemporary version so that it makes more sense, so we don't trip on the old English. But I invite you to pray with me now. If it is your intention to follow Jesus in 2023, to recommit yourself to his life and his love and his church, I invite you to share in this prayer with me. I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. So our action step will not be a surprise to you. Be baptized. Today, we're set. We're ready for you. And if you've already been baptized, then remember your baptism and be thankful for what God has done and recommit your life to following Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.